So I have a new go-to response for any time someone thinks they have the right to spontaneously weigh in about the dynamics in my stepfamily. Go blend yourself. Welcome to season four of the Essential Stepmom podcast, your source for unconventional inspiration and advice on the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. This season, we're going to be busting some blended family myths, but don't worry, I'm not going to leave you standing in the shards of any broken dreams. We'll be putting together something of real value to replace those myths, and I hope to leave you feeling better about your family and your role in it by the end of every episode. You can visit me at EssentialStepmom.com for my blog and other info, and you're always welcome in our Facebook group, The Spectacular Stepmom. We're talking about blended family myths in this season of the podcast. And I want to repeat that I'm not out to say you shouldn't be enjoying a well-blended stepfamily if you're lucky enough to have one. It's just that I don't know many well-blended families that don't also go through some really tough times when they don't feel blended at all. When it might look like that was never going to happen for them or when they feel like they're right back at square one. And there are some families that seem to be just floating peacefully down the lazy blended river of life. But they just haven't hit the rapids yet and they have no idea what's waiting for them. The social media stepmom space has completely exploded in the three years that I've been doing this work. And it's easy to become infected with that social media disease known as comparisonitis. You start looking at other people's photos or stories or maybe reading other people's reactions to your problems and you're sure that you're doing it all wrong and you're the worst stepmom ever. I want to show you that there are lots of roads to happiness in a repartnered relationship with kids and they don't all look like what you might call blended. Let's talk for a minute about making time for the first family. The first family I'm talking about doesn't involve the head of state. It's the family of origin of the kids who live in your home. That's your partner and their children. If you have your own bio kids, then of course there's another first family. That's you and them, minus your partner. Separating your family into two families doesn't make any sense at all to a lot of people. I hear this all the time. We're a family. How will we ever feel like a family if we keep doing things separately? I hear stepmoms say that their spouse doesn't ever want them to stay behind when he or she goes out with the kids. And I hear others say that they feel hurt and excluded if their partner suggests an outing for him or herself alone with the kids. There's an important bit of mindset work to be done around this, and I'm going to give you a different perspective to consider. There's a dynamic energy around a family that continues to exist even when the parents split up. You know this is true. Just think for a minute about your own family. If your parents are still together, imagine them splitting up right now and how frustrating it would be to not get to spend any time at all with your mom or dad without mom or dad's new boyfriend or girlfriend around. Ugh. How would that feel? And you're a grown-up. 
Think of all the resources you have to communicate your needs and desires. And it's still really hard for people who are living with this situation. It even happens when a parent passes away and the widowed other parent is lucky enough to find another partner. You still want some moments as, a, as an adult child to connect with your remaining parent and siblings without someone else's energy that doesn't, just doesn't belong, even if you happen to like them. When I talk about the energy of a family, it's a real thing. Family constellation therapy has taught me that there's a kind of internal hardwiring between family members that never goes away. We never get past wanting to be good enough, to be the favorite, to prove ourselves, to feel loved unconditionally, to be forever the baby or the middle child, to carry the weight of being the eldest, And all of these things play out with our parents, not with our aunts or uncles, not with our kindergarten teachers or Cub Scout leaders or Little League coaches. We spend all our lives building and breaking and repairing our relationships with our parents and our siblings. We feel connected to our extended family members in ways that we're totally unaware of. And we're driven by loyalties to people we might never have even met or known about. This is amazing stuff. And it explains those things you hear about from time to time, like like twins separated at birth who have the same quirky mannerisms or food preferences. It's as much a part of who we are as the freckles or the blue eyes or an aptitude for music that we inherited from previous generations. Wouldn't it be a bit strange to think that you could never again have an evening alone with your sisters? without everyone's partners being there too? Or let's say there's some kind of family drama, maybe involving an arrest or an affair or a revelation of some kind. Can you feel that there could be something you'd potentially want to talk about first just amongst your family before maybe bringing your spouse into the conversation? Or how about this? You can talk to one of your siblings and say, Dad is driving me up the wall. He's so judgmental. He's so rigid. I can't stand it. You wouldn't want your spouse in there saying, I know, right? Your dad's opinions are off the wall. It's okay for you to make those comments inside of your family because the energy field of the family allows for that. The bond is there. The love is there as a foundation. Even if we're angry at each other, there's a context. Kids have the need and the right to have some time in which they can talk about their family with nobody else around. They want to complain about their mom, but they don't want you to hear it and to judge her. Interesting, isn't it? Or they want to be able to ask again for the thousandth time why mom and dad can't get back together. They don't want to hurt your feelings, and it's not about you at all. They want to talk about a story that you're not even a character in, and they're entitled to do that. This is especially important in families where the other biological parent has died. There's no finite timeline on grief. It's going to keep coming up again and again, pretty much forever. The best way to process that grief and to move through it is to have 
the space to honor the family that has a hole in it, to make space for that family to be who they are without that mom or dad in it anymore. And then to come back to the new family, the one that you made with your partner and that you've invited the kids to join with you. I've spoken with a lot of stepmoms who know their family needs some time without them, but they can't wrap their heads around how that can be okay. This is how it's okay. The structure of your family is is like a Venn diagram. You know those, those interlocking circles? There's room to stand in any of the areas, the one where you're alone and the one where you're all together. It's not all blend all the time. That doesn't work. That's trying to force your family into a kind of a Brady Bunch mold. And that only leads to stress at your end and acting out at the other end. There are lots of step family bloggers out there who will tell you that they make a habit of scheduling time for each bio parent to spend time alone with their own biological kids. Some even have separate holidays, vacations, and why not? If you had to suddenly share your home or even your bedroom with some new kid, wouldn't it be nice to just be able to kick back and enjoy having your mom or dad all to yourself for a bit? Let's talk a bit more about blending kids from two families into a homogenous Brady-esque smoothie. I can tell you that if I had had to do that in my household, we would never have lasted. I don't expect we would even have tried, to be perfectly honest. My daughter is an only child, a proud, happy, card-carrying only child. She asked for a little brother or sister a few times when she was really little, but by the time she was about six, she had realized that peace and quiet were just too important to her. We used to visit some family friends who had seven or eight kids, and every time we left there, she'd be saying, Thank you for not having more children. Thank you for not having more children. My husband's kids are rambunctious, full of life. They're devoted to each other and also ready to kill each other at the same time. I don't know how my daughter could have survived it if we had all had to live under the same roof. I'm being honest. We spent quite a few school holidays and long weekends all together, but if it had had to be all the time, it would have been really hard on me to figure out how to buy her the space that, that I know that she needs for her own mental well-being. I'm very happy to report that we spent the last Christmas together at my parents' cottage, and it was the first time, after 14 years together, that my daughter and stepdaughter really bonded and spent a lot of time enjoying each other's company. They're older now and it works really well for them. And I wouldn't trade this for having forced a friendship on them earlier when they just didn't relate to each other. Something else that would have made it exceptionally hard for us to blend all together is that my oldest stepson, who I dearly love, has a very strong personality and a strong urge to argue. He can be hard to be around sometimes. We're always glad to see him, but I confess that it's hard work and it takes a toll. There are some kids who need a lot of attention or who talk really loud or just don't make it easy for other kids to be comfortable around them. We can't just expect 
any two random kids on the school playground to become friends just because their parents decide to move in with each other. I know several stepfamilies who arrange their respective custody schedules so that the kids don't overlap. The kids are rarely in the home at the same time. It's hard on the parents who basically never get a break without kids the way lots of step-parents do, but it's the surest road to harmony for them and they're not about to squander their chance at happiness for every other weekend of morning sex and croissants on the terrace. That setup doesn't look very traditional and the naysayers might complain that it's not right, but you know what I say, go lend yourself. If you can make your kids get along and not resent you for it 10 years down the road so you wish that you'd tried something different instead of being stubborn, then do it. Another unconventional approach to stepfamily life, and you know how much I love everything unconventional, is the idea of keeping separate homes. There are so many step couples who jump too soon into living together because of the obvious benefits like the financial savings and the convenience and maybe the desire to spend more time together or the help with childcare. And then after a few months, they start to realize all the things that they hadn't quite worked out, the conversations they hadn't had in advance, the expectations that weren't clear, the reactions of the kids that hadn't been anticipated. For some couples, it makes a lot of sense to keep two homes, either for a while longer or even indefinitely, especially if having more children isn't on the immediate agenda. It's actually not so easy to have all those intense conversations and it's impossible to predict the ways in which a bio mom can flip her lid and turn the kids against you when you're all there under one roof and she starts to feel like she's been replaced. I recently had some conversations with a few stepmoms who have chosen to keep their own homes while staying in a relationship with their partner. In some cases, they live really close by, like even on the same street, and in others, they're an hour or so away. Some are working towards moving in together eventually, and others are pretty happy having a place to get away from the chaos. Some are waiting for the kids to move out, and some just recognize that things will go much better for everyone if they just have a place to rest and rejuvenate when they need it. I think it's funny that this sort of thing would get completely savaged on a regular Facebook group. People would be saying things like, why even bother being together with someone if you're not acting like a family? Or what impression are you giving the kids by not living together? Meanwhile, most of them would cut off an arm to have a place to get away to when the teenagers are being surly or the little kids are having another food fight. I'm not talking about running away from your issues or just leaving every time something comes up instead of working it out. I'm assuming that the bigger problem isn't communication between the spouses. It's that it reinforces the idea that the parenting belongs to the parent. And that could actually be a full-time job. You could continue to have a loving, romantic relationship with your partner without taking on 100% of the drama, the mess, the chaos, and the responsibility of actually living with them. 
There's no rule book that says this is not allowed. If nothing else, I'd think it should be a much longer phase in the evolution of every step family. You start off by spending more and more time altogether. You have maybe a couple of vacations altogether. You lift up that carpet and make friends with the elephant under it before you plop your own coffee table down over top of it. And if at the end of the day, you have to sacrifice some aspects of lifestyle in order to stay happily attached to this person who you love, that might be preferable to moving in with them and then breaking up, which incidentally happens to roughly 700 step families a day in the U.S. alone. People who want to tell you that living separately is against the rules can go blend themselves. Let them do it their way and you do it the way that works for you. I just want to go back for a hot second to what the French have to teach us about how a step family can look. Remember in the last episode I told you that the French term for step family is famille recomposée, like redesigned family, rebuilt family, family put together of new parts, like the kind of salad where the ingredients complement each other but stay separate and identifiable on the serving platter. There's nothing wrong with a good old coleslaw or tossed salad, but those aren't better. They're just different. They're all good. The other nice thing that the French have is a is another word for stepmother. It's actually the same word that they use for mother-in-law, which is belle-mère. First of all, it sounds much nicer and, and it has the, the word for pretty in it, but it's also, it's also an accurate reflection of the relationship. Mother by marriage. You're no more a mother when you marry someone else's dad than you become a daughter when you marry their son. It's a way of speaking. You become family. You gain a new family when you get married. Your in-laws, as we say. And unlike the wiring we don't have to accept two mothers, we do have wiring that lets us join another family without having to give up our family of origin. That's how children can relax and join your family. We're hardwired for that experience because that's what happens when we get married. Kids can recognize the fact that they have two sets of grandparents, if they're lucky. Heck, these days they can even have four sets of grandparents. Nobody places a limit on how many sets of grandparents a kid can have, and they don't get to tell you how it looks to be a stepmother or a belle-mère. You get to recompose your own family, and you don't have to use anyone else's template. If anybody gives you a hard time about that, you know what to tell them, right? You know, I get an email after almost every episode saying, that was exactly what I needed to hear today. And if you want to feel that way too, let me know where you're stuck or what you'd like to be able to do differently. You can reach me at info at essentialstepmom.com. Here's my final bit of advice for the day. Don't settle for the way things are. You deserve to get everything you really need from your step family life. Security, belonging, respect, 
and even self-actualization. You can grab some free resources and learn more about personal or couples coaching at EssentialStepMom.com. And you can find me hanging out most days in my Facebook community, The Spectacular Stepmom. Send us a join request. We'd be glad to see you there. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button to get every episode the minute this podcast drops. And if you're getting anything out of this at all, pay it forward by leaving a rating or a review. You'll be helping other stepmoms like yourself to find this place and hear what they need to hear today. Thank you.